All right, we're going to be talking about the parable of the rich fool this morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12? I'll be reading for us verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, there are parables like this one that are just so clear and so relevant. They don't need a lot of explanation. They need application. And I pray that today you would help us to hear your word and think about our own life and the resources, the treasure that you have given to us. And what is it that you want us to do with the blessings that we have received? May we be faithful and generous stewards. In Jesus' name, amen. In the late 1990s, PBS uh, aired a popular documentary about consumerism in America. And the impact that all of our stuff and things that we buy and have has upon our life, our family, upon the environment, and the community. And they had kind of a catchy title to it. You may remember it. It was called affluenza, this disease that has affected so many when we think about materialism in our world. Uh, In that particular documentary at that time, they were focusing on the growth of these large malls that were being built all over the country. One of those was the Potomac Mills Mall in Virginia, and they talked about how it had become a tourist destination. Uh, More people visited this mall in Virginia than any other site in Virginia. Now, that's, that's saying a lot when you think of our Capitol being there and the Smithsonian or Mount Vernon or some of the other sites in that Virginia and Washington, D.C. area, uh, that more people were going shopping at this mall than anywhere else. It's like the Mall of America in the Twin Cities. We are reminded time and time again how more people go to the Mall of America than visit Disney or the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or all of those places combined. Uh, They've said that on any given day, the Mall of America is the fifth largest city in Minnesota uh, because of how many people go there on average throughout the year. Well, what does that say about us? I remember once when uh, it uh, it was pretty new, it had been open for just a little while, and Gail and I went down there to take a look at it, and 
we were, happened to be in an elevator going from one floor to the other, and there was a woman there who obviously had been doing some shopping, and I asked her where she was from, and she said she was from Dallas, Texas. Had just flown up for the day to do some shopping and then fly back. And I'm thinking, you know, here's somebody who has more time and money than I do or, you know, uh, misplaced values perhaps here as well. And in that documentary, they talked about the influence this has upon people and how a lot of people shop to fill a bored life. It's the way to kind of get a little, you know, adrenaline or a little kind of stimulation, you know. They like to buy stuff and things. One woman said, you shop and spend money. What else matters? You know, another person said, "Um, shopping is therapy for me. You can buy happiness, she said. Just don't pay retail for it. You know, and, and so... There are people who think that, but what they were pointing out was that 70% of us visit malls each week, more than attend churches or synagogues, and on average, we shop six hours a week and spend only 40 minutes playing with our children. But does it make us any happier? Well, the answer even in that documentary was no. They said the number of people who said that they were very happy in life and with what they had actually peaked in 1957. The more stuff that our culture has produced and things to have, the more discontented people have become. The story we're going to look at today is very relevant because it addresses that issue. I mean, stuff can't make you happy. It's not the most important thing in life. It can mean it can bring pleasure for a season but it is not the ultimate goal in life to see how much you can acquire. And so in this passage, Jesus tells us to be on our guard against all kinds of greed. This desire for more and more, this lust to have more, and it's not just always stuff. It may be fame or fortune in other ways or attention for ourselves. And the problem is that it just ultimately does not satisfy It's the wrong goal for life. And if that was a problem in the first century, can you imagine what Jesus would say to us in 21st century America? Well, the setting for this parable is this, that a large crowd has come to see Jesus and they are following with him. Luke used the word myriad. It could be 10,000 people or more. And we've seen that in the last two messages as Jesus has been speaking and this crowd's been with him. Uh, Jesus has been teaching about some very important things. He's been warning them about the danger of hypocrisy, false teaching from the Pharisees, legalism, uh, you know, missing the mark on things like this. He's talking about how important it is that we fear God, not man, that we live our life in light of eternity because there's a judgment that is coming, an eternal judgment. And so he's doing all of this, and then some guy in the crowd shouts out and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And, and it seems like out of place. Like, haven't you been listening to what Jesus is saying and now you're concerned about your inheritance? He had clearly not been listening. And Jesus responds to him, kind of directly says, A man, uh, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Now, it is true that rabbis were often asked to settle disputes in families. 
Sometimes they'd be involved in a situation like this, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to settle estates. Jesus came to save men's souls. And so he speaks to this man, and he uses it as an occasion for this teaching on greed. Jesus knew this man's heart. And what this man really wanted was not an arbiter. He wanted Jesus to take his side. He wanted Jesus to tell his brother what he wanted to say. You know, he wanted to kind of, you know, back up his case here because at that point uh, in history, Jewish law said that the oldest brother in a family would be the one who would receive a double inheritance, a double portion. It was a way of ensuring that the land was passed on or that the possessions of the family would be secure for future generations. And this man was probably a younger brother who didn't like that. And he's saying, that's not fair. You know, Jesus, tell my brother to just, let's just split this thing 50-50, okay? And Jesus sees the greed in his heart and turns to the crowd and he says, be on your guard. Be constantly vigilant against all kinds of greed. Now, why is greed so dangerous? Why would Jesus say that? And why is it that the Bible calls greed idolatry? You think about idolatry, it is anything that comes between you and God, anything that becomes like that focus of your life, and greed can turn possessions into that. Well, what we're going to see in this text is there are three reasons that stand out why greed is so dangerous. Number one, greed feeds a self-centered life. We see that in verses 16 to 18. Greed and selfishness go hand in hand. The person who is greedy is just thinking about themselves. It's all about me, what I have, my stuff, and I, how much I can get, and I'm going to hold on to it. Look at verses 17 to 19. And I want you to notice how many times a personal pronoun is used. Now, if you don't remember your grammar, you know, that's those words like I or me or my, all those personal pronouns. And you look at these verses, and here's this guy. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, I'll bake bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about me. I mean, 15 times in those verses, he uses a personal pronoun. Is there any thought about God? None at all that we see in the text. The rich man thought that he had done it all. It's like, I worked for it. I earned it. I deserve it. I can do what I want with it, and I'm going to enjoy it because it's mine. And Jesus didn't share that assessment. Jesus said to him, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. The ground did it. That's, that's pretty humbling. You know, you're thinking about, I did all these things, and Jesus is kind of cutting that out right from under him and pointing to what God had done. Now, it is true that this man had to do some work, or more likely his hired hands had to do some work. But who gave him that land? God did. Who gave him the strength to work? Who gave him his health? Who gave him his intelligence? Who gave him his good fortune? 
God did. Who caused the sun to shine and the rain to fall? God did. In fact, apart from God's blessings, he might have had no crop at all. I mean, it might have been a year when there was blight or a drought or wind or hail or something like that that wiped out the whole crop. There is something different about growing up on a farm or having an income tied to the weather and the land that is different than, say, working in an office or retail, where you kind of expect that every year sales should go up or income should be adjusted, cost of living increased, and we'll just kind of see this trajectory grow up. If you grow up on a farm, farming isn't like that. In farming, you have good years and you have bad years. I mean, you have years when there's a good crop and then a year when it's not so good. And I remember, you know, watching my dad go through those swings that could be there and how devastating it could be when a hailstorm came in. I remember one year where we had a soybean crop where one week before it was to be harvested, so it was just getting ripe like it is right now in those fields, you know, you see the grain changing, you see the soybean plants dying back and drying out, and a hailstorm came through and knocked it all out. It was like running a mower through it, gone, in a moment. What do you do? How do you, how do you pick yourself up from that and, and go on when you lose a significant part of your income? In those days, people didn't have crop insurance as much as they do now, and it has always been expensive to have. There are lessons you learn that we are so dependent upon God for what we have that he's the one who causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall, the one who watches over us and gives us the income and resources we have. Sometimes people get that way out of whack. You may remember uh, several years ago now, back in 2004, do you remember the name Latrell Spreewell playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves at that time? In 2004, he asked to be traded from the Timberwolves if he didn't get a better contract. At the time, he was making $14.6 million a year. And the Wolves had offered him $27 to $30 million over the next three years. And he called that offer insulting. And his line or defense was, I got to feed my family. You know, and, and that was the line that stood out and got quoted everywhere and really rubbed everybody the wrong way. <laughs> I gotta feed my family. You, you can't do that on 14.6 million? You think you could feed your family on 0.6 million? I mean, seriously. Sometimes you get so far out of whack. Bob Euchre, who uh, played Major League Baseball and then went on to be a commentator, And an announcer for baseball said this. He said, I don't begrudge what these guys make, but what really bothers me is that they think they deserve it. You know, that's what bothered him, the arrogance sometimes that he would hear. Well, thankfully, not all athletes are like that. There are athletes that do have this in perspective and understand how much they have been blessed, both with the talent they have, the opportunity they have, the support to be able to play a game that they love, and to do that well. This past week, the Minnesota Lynx won and celebrated another WNBA championship. And it was so good to hear somebody like Maya Moore talk about that and say thank you to the fans and thank you to the Lord for his blessing. 
Uh, she is really well grounded in her faith, and it's been fun to get to know her and, and to hear her story and testimony. And I, I praise God that there are athletes, men and women in different sports who are believers, who are trying to keep that balance, if you will, that right perspective, and to be a role model for our kids. We need that. And we need to take this to heart, too. That same attitude of greed can affect us if we fail to recognize that everything we have comes from God. Or if we find ourselves being more concerned about things than God or people, that is idolatry. And greed promotes that kind of self-centeredness. Secondly, greed gives a false sense of security. We see that in verse 19. I mean, here was this guy thinking, you know, to himself, I'm going to plan for the future. I got lots of things laid up. I got all these resources. You know, I'm just going to live a long life and enjoy it. And wait a minute. Life doesn't always go the way that we think, does it? This man was, on one level, planning for his retirement. There's nothing wrong with that, to give thought for those future years when we may not be able to work or earn an income, and we will need some kind of income to help us and support us. The problem with this guy was that he, he was giving no thought to God or to his soul. I mean, he thought, I'm going to build up my nest egg, I'm going to build bigger barns, and then I'm going to take life easy, you know, maybe play a little more golf, maybe buy a bigger boat, you know, eat, drink, be merry, just live the high life, and that's the way it's going to be. The future's going to be great. And there are a lot of people who think that, who think, I can't wait until I retire. Then I can do whatever I want. And there are people who want to retire at age 37, you know? And there are stories about how you can do it if you want to bite on that and think that that's what you can do. But is that what God wants us to do? Or does he want us to use the gifts and abilities that we have been given productively all our life for as long as we can? And to use those gifts to be a blessing to others. If you have questions about that, I'd recommend you read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Live your life every day in light of eternity. The Bible doesn't say don't plan for the future or don't save for retirement. In fact, Proverbs 13.22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. It is wise to plan for the future. But it's not wise to think that all the stuff we have is just for that purpose. No, God has other intentions for us. The problem with this man is that he didn't think far enough into the future. He didn't think about the day when he would stand before God to give an account for his life. He didn't think about his eternal soul. He thought his life was secure because of the possessions that he had, and he didn't need God. And the Bible calls him a fool. Now that word fool isn't used a lot in Scripture. And so when it is used in a setting like this, it's good to pay attention to it. It is foolish to trust in our wealth because it can be lost very quickly. Some of you had parents who went through the Great Depression. Some of you had grandparents who went through the Great Depression. And that left a profound mark on their life. 
I mean, 25% unemployment, bread lines, people out of work, trying to make ends meet. Uh, people came through that, and they felt very differently about the world, about their work, their job, things like that. We experienced some of that in the Great Recession that we went through 2007, 2008, where people lost a lot of money in the stock market. And they were cautious, and they pulled back, and they wondered, okay, now where can I put something that will be safer? That uncertainty shook their foundation. Today, we see the storms, the hurricane damage, the flooding, and we think of these people that have lost their homes and much more in those recent disasters. It can be devastating. And if that is your security, if that's what you're trusting in, your income, your ability, your possessions, then that's going to shake your foundation to the core. But if our trust is in God, He can bring us through even the worst storms of life. And secondly, it is foolish to hoard our wealth and not help others. God doesn't give us all that we have just so that we can spend it on ourselves. He wants us to be a blessing to others. And when this man was blessed with a bumper crop, was there any thought that maybe God had blessed him to bless someone else? No, not at all. Maybe he could have increased the wages of his workers. Maybe he could have helped the poor in his community. No, it's all about himself. It's like, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to hoard this stuff, save more for me. Well, what about us? If God blesses us with a bonus with a raise, with an inheritance. What is our first thought about those resources? Do we think that, you know, God's given us that, so now we can just take a better vacation or do something else fun or, you know, build a bigger house or whatever it is that we want to do? Is that our first thought? Or is our first thought, God, what is it that you want me to do with what I've been given? How do you want me to use these resources? Randy Elkhorn made this statement in his book, The Treasure Principle. He said, what we hoard, we lose. What we give, we keep. That's a good statement. When God blesses us, do we ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with these resources? Have you made it your practice to tithe, to give to the Lord a tenth of what He has given to you? And do you make it a practice when God is blessed to even go above that in terms of offerings or blessings that you can give to help others? One of the greatest joys in the Christian life is the joy of giving. To participate with God and what He's doing around the world and then to see how God has used that to bring people to know Christ or to bless other individuals, or help them grow in their relationship with God, to see your giving make a difference in people's lives, it is just a great joy. And I hope that all of you have experienced that in your life. And when we give to the Lord, those gifts make a difference for eternity. Look at what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 19. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy the things that he has given to us. He wants us to find pleasure in our homes or in the other unexpected things that he may have provided for us. But he also wants us to do the second part of this verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, teach your people in your church to live their life in light of eternity, to use the resources, the wealth, the time, the talents that we have been given in a way that's going to make a difference for Christ. Put your hope in God, not in things. Be generous and willing to share. And then thirdly, Greed is dangerous because greed leads to misplaced values. And we see that in verses 20 and 21. Greed caused this man to miss what is most important in life, our relationship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. And he was so focused on this life that he missed what was of eternal significance. I mean, look at verse 20. How did God have to get this man's attention? I mean, this man was so preoccupied with things that the only way God could get his attention was to say to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, this guy's thinking, you know, he's going to live a long life. He's going to take it easy. He's got all these thoughts and plans for the future not forgetting that his life was in God's hands, not his. There was a major flaw in this man's thinking. Life is short. One day we will all die. What have you done to prepare for eternity? Randy Elkhorn shared an illustration of this in his book, going back to the days of the Klondike Gold Rush in Alaska. And he told the story of two men, true story, who had gone up to Alaska to strike it rich, and they were one of the few who actually did find a large deposit of gold. And they were so excited about it, you know, they weren't going to tell anybody, they just stayed there and they were going to dig out all this gold that they could find, and then once they were done, they were going to haul it off, you know, and then go get this money and live life well. Well, what happened was these men were so focused on digging for gold, that they did not prepare for the winter that was coming. And when that first blizzard hit, they realized their mistake. And they were trapped. They got socked in with that blizzard and the snows that followed, and they could not get out, and they realized their foolishness. And one of the men wrote a note explaining what had happened, and then those guys lay down to die. Months later, a prospecting party discovered the note in their frozen bodies lying on top of a huge pile of gold. Obsessed with their treasure, these miners had not taken into account that the fair weather would not last and the winter was coming. Hypnotized by their wealth, they failed to prepare for the imminent future. The gold that seemed to be such a blessing proved to be a curse. 
Greed does that. It blinds our eyes to what is truly important. Sometimes people, you know, they aspire to greatness and they think that, you know, I'm just going to devote myself to this career or climbing the ladder of success or accumulating more and more stuff. And in the process, they neglect their marriage, they neglect their family, they neglect their health. And all of that takes its toll. But far more serious even than those things is to neglect our soul. What is a profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet will lose or forfeit his soul? The person who lives like that is a fool in the eyes of God. So how do we guard our heart against greed? How do we live our life well? well we need to remember what Jesus said here, that life is more than the sum of our possessions. Life is about knowing God and knowing His Son, Jesus Christ, and living in a way that honors Him. Life is a gift, so He calls us to honor the giver. And we do that by putting our trust in God and not in things, and acknowledging that He is our security and our hope. He also calls us in this passage to be generous, to be willing to share Life is short, so live it wisely. Live it in a way that's going to count for eternity. And that's the last thing I would say. Live each day in light of eternity. And if you will do that, when that day comes, when you stand before the Lord, you will be very glad that you did. Let's pray. Father, this is such a good passage for us to hear as people living in America at this time when we just have an abundance of things. And we get bombarded with advertisements and media and messages that say, you need this or you need that or this would make your life better or easier or happier, but it's all ultimately just stuff. And so, Lord, would you help us to choose wisely, to be good stewards of what you have given to us, to invest our time, our talents, our gifts in a way that will build the kingdom. Help others to know you and grow in their relationship with you. And thank you, Father, for the joy that comes when we live that way as your children. Help us to honor you and be be good stewards of what we have been given. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stay with us as we close?